0: What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us. This is Danny Langloss. Hey, if you're not following us on LinkedIn, please connect, follow us. We're posting daily leadership, mindset, motivation content. Also linked in this podcast description is an article we wrote titled Employee Engagement 10X, The Seven Pillars of Ownership. Ownership changes the game. Ownership is our team members' extreme psychological and emotional commitment to the team, to the organization, to our goals, to our purpose. It's when people do things because it's important to them, not because they're told to do it. It changes everything. All right, here we go. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss. Today, I'm joined by Tony Gamble. And we're going to talk about why self-leadership is our most important leadership skill. We're going to take a deep dive into Tony's SOAR model that he and his team have created to really help us navigate the most important, complex, and relational situations. Tony Gamble is the president and founder of Clearview Leadership. Uh, He and his team have helped executives, managers, uh, bring their best leadership self to their most challenging situations. He provides executive coaching, leadership development, Organizational Effectiveness Consulting for Leaders and Organizations. He's also a Forbes contributor and co-author of the newly released book, Getting It Right When It Matters Most. In his previous roles, he served as Vice President of Organizational Development and Learning at RTI International and the Director of Leadership Development Services at Virginia Tech and Conversation International. Tony, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Danny. I
1: appreciate the time and appreciate being here.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited. You know, uh, Tony and I met through LinkedIn. He published this article recently um, uh, about why, why self-leadership is your most important leadership skill. I printed it out for reference. I read it. I loved it. Uh, I can't wait to take a deep dive into the SOAR model and, and just learn more about it. So, Tony, could you just share a little bit about your journey and what's led you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, so, I don't want to go too,
1: too deep into it. But I think the most pivotal part about my journey was when I got out of school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I went into a sales job and I didn't like it. And I went and took an internship with an organization called Outward Bound. And I went and worked with adjudicated kids down in the rivers of Florida, with month-long programs. And I really found my passion. I really found my meaning for the first time uh, in, in working with these kids in relation to building a team. Um, leadership, facilitation. Those were things that I started to understand that it was meaningful to me and I, I had an aptitude for. And so I, from that, I did that for a while and then I started working with professional development programs. Went and got my master's in human resource development. Uh, had, as you said, I worked with um, Conservation International, RTI International, and Virginia Tech leading these, the function around talent development and organizational development. And about three years ago, it was, uh, I was at a point where I'd gotten so far away from my passion because of the level that I was at in the organization. I pivoted and I started, um, I went back and, um, started this consulting firm called Clearview Leadership. And it's been great because I have been a beginner all again in so many different topics. I've written a book. Before three years ago, I'd never written an article. And now I've written over 100 articles. And as you said, Forbes has uh, asked me to be a contributor. So I'm a regular contributor there. I'm just such a beginner in so many different areas. And so right now, at at this phase of my career, I've got this new energy. And I'm so excited about what we're doing.
0: I love that. you said several times, which I love this you know, it feels, I'm such a beginner, right? And, and, and leadership and, and different roles we get aren't destinations or new beginnings. And that's something I believe wholeheartedly. And I really appreciate you sharing some of that in your journey today to get us started. Could, could you talk about the, the two primary reasons you've identified why leaders fail? Yeah, Danny,
1: I was first and foremost, I want to make sure that people understand it's not why I, how I identified. I actually uh, stand on the shoulders of research a whole lot. And uh, the two reasons that I gave in the article are from a gentleman named Bob Eichinger. And he is a co-founder of Lominger, And Lominger was purchased by Cornberry, but what Lominger did is they did seminal work on leadership competencies. And I got introduced to that when I was implementing a, a, a corporate university for learning. Um, and we were purchasing leadership competencies and, uh, Cornberry actually purchased, uh, Lohmanger and we purchased, uh, those competencies. And I started doing reading from Bob Eichinger because he's done the seminal research on leadership, what makes leaders great, what are competencies for leaders. And he also has done research on the derailers of leadership. And I actually had an opportunity at a conference to be in a working group with Bob. And it was uh, really cool to just, I'd seen his work and then just have conversations. And one of the things he said during the uh, working session that we had is he said, we identified with Lomager 77 competencies, why leaders are successful. He goes, but when you think about why leaders fail, we did research for over 20 years. And it really comes down to two major things, why leaders fail. And he said, the first was because of failed relationships. And he said the second was because people failed to continue to learn. And then as I started to explore that, it, this failed to continue to learn was more around learning agility. It was more around failing to update my lens, failing to take on new practices, failing to evolve into new situations. And so the reason that really stuck with me is the two reasons uh, leaders primarily fail is because that's what I experienced as a leader, and that's what I've also experienced in working with leaders, is the reason people struggle and fail and their biggest challenges aren't because they can't pick up a knowledge or skill. And it's not because uh, their inability to intelligence or their ability um, to be able to be successful. It's more around their willingness to adapt to new relationships or willingness to take on and evolve continually during restructurings, during new management, during new strategies, new customers. And that comes down to building and maintaining and salvaging important relationships. And then the other is evolving, being willing to change my mindset and my behaviors, my practices within my value set when it makes sense. And so it's just stuck with me in relation to that
0: yeah two very very important things i know from my leadership career i identify with that we talk about you know growth mindset how do we get 1% better every day seeing every every challenge and adversity in front of us as an opportunity to learn and grow and really embracing that you know and 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 realizing that if we're if we're not moving forward we're falling behind that's a that's a big part of what our culture is
1: A hundred percent, especially in today's world of work, right? Where things are changing, we're working with more people. uh, Organizations are shifting in so many different ways. And if you're leading, it is all about getting results while you're getting, while you're building strong relationships. And you've got to continually evolve to do that. And you've also got to continually maintaining, developing strong
0: relationships. So many things coming to my mind right now, but to, to stay on track, um, why do you feel that self-leadership is the most important leadership skill?
1: Yeah So my, let me speak a little bit about my experience, how it came to this point. And I as, as I mentioned earlier, I've led the talent, talent development functions for three different global organizations. And part of that has been around uh, developing leadership development programs, developing curriculum, Um, coaching, performance management, succession, high potential identification, all of those things. And when developing leaders and assessing leaders, what I found was their technical discipline and their technical skills was the price of entry. But for them to succeed past that, they had to have something else. And as I was Working with my team to develop these leaders, we would look at what is that something else? Well, it's communication. Well, it's self-awareness. Well, it's ability to continually grow and be agile. Uh, There's just this platform, being mindful, having difficult conversations. There's just this whole group of of concepts that were becoming so important um, for leadership, actually for employees to be successful, and especially leaders to be successful. And so I used to work for a CEO and he said, he told me something that stuck with me. He said, any idiot can make something complicated. It takes somebody really smart to make something simple. And so that's what I wanted to do with this. And so I could not find anything that focused on putting all these concepts together in a simple, practical way. And so that was what I chose to do. And what we did is we looked at what is self-leadership and we define self-leadership with four components, and as we call it, the SOAR self-leadership model, um, and it's self understanding and having self-awareness, uh, understanding your purpose, your meaning, your values, your strengths, your weaknesses, and then as soon as you run into an important, complex, relational situation, your outlook, which is the O, comes into mind. And how do you manage your bias? How do you manage your emotions to be effective and regain balance? How do you bring the right outlook? before you get to this action piece of, in the, uh, of the SOAR model. And when we talk about action, the action that we have in the workplace to facilitate movement is our conversations. And so how do we engage others in conversations with empathy? How do we ask high quality questions and listen? How do we have, have these high stakes conversations and how do we manage defensiveness, and ours and others in these conversations? And then the R stands for reflection. How do we start to continually grow and evolve through practicing, through getting feedback and through reflecting um, and having a, a practice of reflection? And so what we tried to do is say, put together this SOAR model, self, outlook, action and reflection, and look at the fewest, most important things that people needed to get the results of being self-aware, being mindful, uh, being emotionally intelligent, having social intelligence and learning agility. We tried to put all of that in there, but we took it from a human-centric per- practice or a human-centric lens about this is how we engage these situations. I bring myself to every situation and that impacts my outlook when I, when I engage in a situation. And then I act, and then I reflect, which improves my self-awareness, which brings me a better outlook, which allows me to act more effectively, and I reflect again. And so that's the cycle that we started to use. And we, the real shift was all this information is out there, but it's hard to get and put together because it's so vertical by discipline. And what we try to do is take it from a person's
0: perspective. Well, the... Uh, yeah, Get a little feedback oh, yeah, there. The, the humanistic side of leadership is, is such an important thing. You know, 21st century leadership requires us to lead the whole person. It, it requires us to be human. The authoritarian top-down style of leadership no longer works. People just won't accept it. You hear things about, you know, workplace culture, but really transitioning to workplace experience. You know, what's happening with people outside of the organization, you know, doesn't go away when they walk into it, when they leave the four walls of your organization, you know, it doesn't, the impact of that doesn't stay there. And so I really love this humanistic approach that you're talking about. Can we take a little deeper dive in leading self? So you said that was about, you know, what are our values, you know, getting clear, can you take a little deeper dive into the self portion of that?
1: Yeah. And self is, when I think about self, that is probably what Traditionally, in leadership development, people focus the most on. They either do a personality assessment, a emotional intelligence assessment, a 360 assessment. So that's one thing that leadership, traditional leadership development programs have included in that. When we're looking at self, we're looking at self in a vacuum. What are our values? What are our motivations? What, are, what is our best self? Uh, what, what is our worst self? Uh, what is our purpose? Um, And being able to have that clear understanding of who we are is central to be able to make adjustments and engage as we move forward towards action.
0: Okay, Tony, so we talked about self. Let's turn to outlook. Right. So outlook has to do with with some of our preconceived notions. You talked about bias, our emotions. This past week, we released a podcast on the neuroscience of leadership, learning about these pathways that are created. When when you work with somebody on outlook, you know, how do how do we overcome things like defensiveness? What are some strategies about how do we become less defensive?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting to me about outlook is self is more static. But once you add self and outlook, it's dynamic. And what I mean by that is as soon as we engage with an important, complex and relational situation, we end up having a lens that creates bias and it also creates emotions. And really outlook is about how do I create the most, clear, well, actually not create, how do I become aware of the outlook that I have? And how do I make choices around that to choose my best outlook? So for example, uh, we bring multiple biases, right? We bring, when we're looking at a situation, we bring biases around thinking our views are best. We bring biases around not wanting to change a perspective once we've established it. We bring bias around making judgments about people and discounting their, their situation. How do we understand that and make allowances for that? How do we become aware of our emotions? How do we become aware of when we're engaging in an important complex situation? We, a lot of times feel threats. We feel negative emotions, which don't enable us to be as successful or bring our best self into that situation. And so what we talk about in the book is What are the practical ways that you can manage that? And we talk about first pausing and pausing is understanding. The best way to pause is it's hard to understand what your emotions are doing, but physically, sometimes we can understand that we've got a clenched jaw, that we've got a sinking feeling in our stomach, that we're feeling sweat, that we're feeling hot. Those are indicators that, hey, maybe I've been triggered. Maybe I need to regain balance. And then the second thing which we all know is breathe. How do you breathe to, uh, there's research around that our, our breathing mimics our emotions. And that means, and you being a police officer know that, when you get excited, you start shallow, fast breathing. But what also we know is our emotions mimic our breathing, which means if we start to regulate our breathing, our emotions go down. We've been given a tool be able to bring calmness to ourselves in threatening times and when i mean threatening i'm talking socially threatening right yeah. Um, yeah threatening times by just breathing and then the third thing we talk about is labeling your emotion name entertainment is what neuroscientists call it and what the research physical and neuro uh, neuro research shows is that if you can identify and label your emotion it moves it from the more primitive amygdala to your prefrontal cortex where you can problem solve and it starts to bring you back down to balance in relation to that and so those are some of the practical things that we talk about in relation to how do you in the moment how do you make sure that you are bringing balance to your outlook so you can choose the best outlook for you to be able to move forward with action
0: what a great strategy, right? You think about that strategy. I think about in high stress situations as a police officer, intense moments as a leader, um, in difficult and complex situations, that ability to, and as you talk about, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Right. But it's a simple, actionable thing. This pause pausing is, has incredible power to it. It pausing allows us to think to take a breath, right? In our own mind, we can label what emotion we're feeling and say, is, is that serving me right now? And you can transition your emotion to what is serving you. But it also, in that complex and difficult situation, gives the other person an opportunity to pause and to think. Yeah. And, and they might have a preconceived notion as we do about how we might react in this complex situation. And by us staying under control, it actually helps them remain and come back under control and reduce stress and that threat in both of us. So I think, you know, what you've shared here is just really pure gold. uh, When, when you talk about this outlook and shaping your outlook.
1: Yeah. And what you were just saying is our, uh, our mirror neurons, right? We, if we see somebody upset, we tend to get upset. If we see somebody angry, we start to feel feelings of angry, uh, of anger. So, what you're saying is 100% right. We contribute to the dynamic of either making it more volatile or making it less and regaining composure. We've got to start with ourselves in relation because that's what we can control. Uh, and then once we've regained that balance, we're at a state where we can say, "Okay, what is my best intention for moving forward?" What? Because then that's what I'm doing is choosing my outlook at that point. I can't do that when I'm reacting or hijacked. But if I've regained that balance, I can go okay, what is my best outlook for this action? What are my best outcomes for this interaction I'm about to engage in? Because what I know is that even if we're not aware of it, our actions are always a direct reflection of our mindset or our intentions, always, even if we don't understand it until afterwards. And so if we can be deliberate about choosing our best mindset to bring our best self to this important complex relational situation, we're going
0: to be a lot better off. Wow. Fantastic. One of the things I've talked about this for, for for years now is with people, you know, our thoughts and our feelings turn into actions. And actions are what change the world, right? They change the relationship, they change the outcomes, they, they change what happens. And and having complete control of that, you know, you talk about that starting with awareness, you know, and your choice right? So we think a lot of times we don't have control that, you know, talk about mindset being the foundation of our, of our success. We have a choice to choose our mindset. We have a choice to choose our emotion. It takes strategies like the strategies you're sharing, but we have that, that choice. And when we talk about self-leadership, being completely knowing who we are, being aligned with who we are, allows us to be our authentic self And then knowing how we want to show up in a situation allows us to really dig deep. And when you talk about the awareness of your biases, of your perceptions, right, of all these different things, um, that is why, and you talk about, you know, how to navigate the most important, complex, and relational situations, man, all this is clicking and firing.
1: Yeah. And which brings us right to the next phase, which is now we need to act. And you mentioned it. It's, you know, our emotions and our feelings drive our actions. And the way we express our actions are through conversations. And you know, you were in the police; uh, you were a police officer. So sometimes in life and death situations, that's different, and I get that. But in the in most office places and in most work settings, the way that we move things forward is through our conversations. And that's what the whole A for action in the swarm model is all about: is how do we Once we've set our best intention, once we've been regulated or balanced and set our best intention, how do we move forward with the best actions? And really what we know is, and I mentioned it earlier, is for long term success as a leader, we've got to balance getting results while building strong relationships. We've got to do both of those. And the only way that we can build trust and we can build strong relationships is by acting with empathy. And the only way we can, that I know that we can express empathy or the primary way in the workplace is by asking quality questions and listening. Um, And too many leaders feel like if they do that, they lose control of the situation or they're not going to be able to share their perspective. But the truth is, it just makes their perspective stronger because they listened, they gained insight, they have maybe lessened others' defensiveness because they've been heard, and then they get to be more specific and deliberate and impactful when they choose to share their perspectives and their insights and their information that leaders need to do with employees and peers and and external stakeholders. So it's really how do you engage in these high stakes conversations? And how do you move them forward through balancing high quality questions and high quality statements? And then the last piece of the section, we talk about what happens when people get defensive. And we've already talked about managing your own defensiveness and the outlook, but what happens when others get defensive? And the, the sort of the key to that is listening, creating space for people to be heard, and then figuring out how do we move forward with the understanding that something bothered you, something threatened you okay, what I understand that. I want to hear more about that. I want to create space to listen to you and then, okay, I get that. How do you think we move forward? What do we do to, to be able to move forward? Um, and so trying to, you can't control people's defensiveness, but if you ever tell people to stop being defensive, you're not going to be in a good spot.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. It, the action, you know, and, and, and honestly, there's very few situations in policing where we have to take action that isn't conversation, right. that isn't communication. And, and people, so, two of the leaders' greatest tools are asking questions and listening. That's what we believe. Um, and when we talk about leadership excellence and, and the tools of leadership excellence, because that, that gives information. And when I ask questions and I listen and I truly listen, I say to you, I respect you. I care about your opinion. Yes. You have value. Right. It allows me to get that deep understanding. And then when people get defensive and the tension rises, right, that's why I think back to my hostage negotiation training, where labeling emotions, I statements, paraphrasing, some mirroring, you know, as, as somebody elevates, you know, our conversation begins to lower and to come down and, you know, help me understand questions, you know. And like you said, like as you take that in, you know, what outcome would you like to see? Because I, I do believe, and Chris Voss talks about every interaction is a negotiation. When we get into these complex conversations and when there is problems um, and, and, and the tension gets high, it really does, the, the, the tools that make you a great hostage negotiator make you a very good communicator and give you, you know, your ability to act most successfully.
1: Yeah. I, you just nailed so many aspects of, of that is showing respect through asking questions and, and listening. You talk about asking follow up questions, allowing for silence um, and and saying, tell me more about that. What else is going on? Um, help me better understand that these follow up questions have magic because it allows people to get further into their emotions or their thinking and get to their best perspectives in relation to that. And then, wow. you, said, then you said paraphrasing, And that's in the book we talk about paraphrasing and then asking close-ended questions, which is interesting. It's saying, what I hear you saying is this, or you're feeling this, or you're angry at this. Is that right? Am I missing that? And asking a close-ended question to make sure. But that enables people to not just you've given them the space, but you've ensured understanding. And if you're off-base, they can realign you, but it's building that relationship while you're moving your situation forward.
0: No, absolutely. And then then the power of the pause. I mean, the power of the pause. What I found a lot of times, and you tell me if if you've had a different experience, is a lot of times we become upset because of our emotions. A lot of times that isn't even logical. And if we give people the opportunity to explain why they're upset or where the conflict arises – a lot of times they work it out in their own mind. And what I've found, and, and think about it as yourself, like I'm really upset or I'm really mad about this situation, but then if I go to write it down on a piece of paper and I read it back, I'm like, well, wait a second. This isn't, this isn't as bad as I was thinking it was. So by giving people an opportunity to work through this and feel heard, they, they feel so much better. And a lot of times you didn't have to compromise at the end. They, they, they come to you.
1: Danny, what we've allowed them to do is label their own emotions. Right. And if you name it to tame it, as we talked about earlier, what we do for ourselves, we have empowered others to do that. And they've named their emotion. And again, it's moved it from a feeling to something that's concrete, that they can rationalize, they can think about, that they can understand. And it ceases to become who I am and it starts to become this is what I'm feeling. Uh, And that's a completely different. And so when you've done that for others, you've facilitated that process for them. Um, And so that's it's powerful.
0: Very powerful. I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's bringing back so many of those things. And, you know, I, I, I say as leaders, the greatest leaders really understand the fundamentals and they're continually trying to take deeper dives into the fundamentals. Um, because we have to not just do, we got to understand why we do things. And if we don't, then we can't become multipliers, which is what one of our roles is. Right. Um, so let's talk about the reflection side. So we've talked about self outlook, action, now reflection. Yeah, it's
1: interesting for me anyway. Is reflection, as I've evolved my thinking, I have become really clear that reflection is our most powerful tool for learning that we have. There's nothing more powerful than that. And it's something that we don't instill in people. We don't instill it in the workplace. We don't instill it in our own lives. We don't. And so when we talk about reflection, is what we know is. Adults, and I would say even children, we learn by doing. Uh, When I'm doing workshops, sometimes a question I'll ask is Everyone, think about an important learning you had as a leader, something that significantly helped you moving forward. And I give people a couple of minutes to think about that. And then I say, Ask people, if you learn that lesson in a classroom, raise your hand. And nobody raises their hand, right? Because the truth is, we learn. To experience. And so reflection just gives us an opportunity. Research has shown reflection significantly increases our ability to become more emotionally aware, um, to, to learn more quickly. It is an essential part of growth. And this term leadership agility or learning agility has just taken off in the last 10, 15 years because our dynamic world, and we get real practical about it. How do you reflect in an effective way? And the first is you've got to have a, a focus. I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to grow in this area. I'm going to try to move this forward. Then you've got to practice. You've got to do. And then you've got to get feedback. And there's two p- parts of feedback. You've got to give yourself feedback. How did it go? But then you've got to ask others for feedback because they're not going to give it to you. You've got to ask others for feedback regularly. You've got to tell them specifically what feedback you want instead of being general. How did I do Um, And you need to never be defensive when asking for feedback because they'll never give it to you. And then, then Ah. and then reflection, we talk about a model um, that's called the what, so what, now what model. And so it's what happened? So what? And the now what is most important because that generates what I do moving forward. Right? So what happened? Well, I had this conversation and it didn't go well. So what? Well, The relationship's damaged and I need to repair it. Now what? And that starts to move us forward in relation to that. And it's not that difficult. It is just at regularly looking at what, so what, and now what, and then practicing again.
0: Love it. That that reflection piece is something we often miss. And as you started talking about this, I'm like, you know, I I knew you were going to get to it the, the, the self-reflection, right. And, and the, and being really honest with ourselves, being able to look in the mirror and seeing who we really are, what we've really done, how we really performed, but who have you developed relationships with that will be honest and open with you help give you that feedback because we all have blind spots. And this reflection is really about, you know, creating that, you know, that more awareness, eliminating those blind spots, getting more pieces of this puzzle in this growth, about you know how do we continue to get better each and every day? And then I think something that's really important on the reflection, and, and and you might be getting this is it can lead to more action. I know I've come out of some conversations and they just didn't go so well, and you know uh, it, they ended okay, but then I'll call and reach back and I'll say, you know, hey Joe, I just wanted to touch base with you. I really care about you in our relationship. I just don't have a great a great feeling about how the conversation ended. I just want you to know I care about you and I'm sure we're going to work through this thing. And what that does, the investment in the relationship just changes everything. Yeah, a hundred
1: percent. And I'm going to be a little more deliberate with that. We've reflected and you went straight to action. But what I would say is we've reflected, which gives us more self-awareness, which enables us to improve our outlook, which enables us to have better action which we reflect on again, right? And that's why this cycle works is because that's how we live it. As I said earlier, it's a human or it's a person centric cycle. It's not talking about, and I'm not diminishing the value of strengths or emotional intelligence or personality assessments or learning agility or mindfulness. All of those are important, but they're topical. But the SOAR model starts to look at it about how I engage it. And you just nailed it. You're like, it gave me better action. But the reason it gave you better action after reflection is because you had more self-awareness and you brought a better and you chose a better outlook that enabled better action, which you're going to reflect on again and have more self-awareness again. That is the cycle. And what that enables us to do is self-leadership is how we express all of our abilities, knowledge, skills, values, passions, positions. It comes through us. And if we haven't developed that, it doesn't matter what else we learn or what else we develop, because the the vehicle through which that is being expressed has not been taken care of or has not been deliberately built. Um, And so when I think about leaders and when I think about general development, where we really miss the boat is we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We would put all of the emphasis on building all these technical skills and education around science, math, communication, all the technical aspects. When we train mm-hmm. leaders, we talk about delegation, coaching, feedback, strategic planning, organizational design. All, all, They're not bad, but it doesn't matter unless you have developed effective self-leadership skills because that is the vehicle through which you express everything else that you know. And so it is the foundation. And I just, in putting together this book, and I I need to say that it's a co-author book, it's Scott Carbonara and I putting it together. What we believe so passionately is that this is what you need to focus on first. This is the foundation. And if you haven't focused on it, you need to go back because everything else is not going to be it's not going to enable you to bring your best self to all the other skills, abilities, knowledge, emotions, goals that you have, unless you've developed these advanced uh, self-awareness skills. One more thing is what I learned in working with leaders and high poten- putting together high potential programs and, and identifying successors is the people that su- succeeded, they all had the technical skills. But the differentiator was they had a strong foundation of advanced self-leadership skills. And I also believe the same thing for that to be in life. With my relationships, when I'm dealing in my family, with my most important complex relational aspects, I need to bring self-leadership for me to be successful within that. I need to take that ownership.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the reason why, and like you said, based on research, That 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 this program is built on, that this model is built on, you've you've made an incredible case for why self leadership is the most important leadership skill. It all begins there. Tony, do you have a call to action for our listeners?
1: I think I just talked about it, but I'll I'll reiterate it just a second. Is I I really believe that we need to start with self, and when we do start with self, it's more than just self awareness. It is. Understanding self, understanding our outlook, understanding how we choose the best outlook. How do we move forward in effective conversations and how do we continually grow through reflection? I think that is the call. It is invest in yourself. um, And then all of these other attributes that you bring will be expressed, especially in your most important complex and relational situations. They will be you will be bringing your best self those situations and at the end of the day that is our best hope we may not succeed at the end of something but if we can say you know what we brought our best selves and then reflect on it and and update and and improve our outlook but if we brought our best selves we can live with that right and so my my call to action is work on self but it's more than just static self-awareness it is a whole approach to self-leadership
0: thank you tony where can people find you at
1: So you can find me on LinkedIn um, as we found each other on LinkedIn. Uh, We also have a website for uh, gettingitright.net for the new book. And actually the new book is called Getting It Right When It Matters Most. Uh, I co-authored it with Scott Carbonara. And you can also uh, reach me at my Forbes contributor page. Um, And so that's Tony Gamble under Forbes leadership. And so... Those are ways you can reach out to me. You can always reach out on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to respond and get to to add to my network.
0: Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And we appreciate you coming on the show today. So much knowledge, so many nuggets, so many actionable things for our listeners to do once they stop listening to the episode. Danny,
1: thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this, for me to um, be welcome to your platform. I really
0: appreciate it. Today, you know, Tony talked about, you know, the, the two biggest derailers of leadership, failed relationships and failure to that continued learning. He, he made an incredible case, uh, and I'm convinced why self-leadership is our most important leadership skill. And he didn't just make a case for us. He gave us a framework to improve our self-leadership, the SOAR model, self-outlook, action, and, and reflection Um, so many, so many takeaways to our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting that subscribe button. So you never miss another episode. Give us a rating or review, uh, so we can help reach more people organically. And remember, always be committed to excellence.